Hey everyone, we'll be going live in about five minutes. Thanks for joining up. Hey everyone, we're going to go live in just a few minutes here. We're just waiting for Samantha to join up and do a quick sound test, and then we'll kick things off. And if you're not able to stay the whole time, recording will be available later. And if you're just tuning in now, uh, Samantha, hey, thanks for joining us. And for everyone who just tuned in, we're going to be kicking things off pretty soon. Uh, but right now, we're just going to do a quick sound check before the 630 um, Spaces starts. So, Samantha, I'm inviting you to be a co-host. Just uh, accept that invite. There we go. All right. You should be able to be a speaker. Let's just do a quick sound check. Samantha, can you hear me okay? And you'll want to unmute your mic, and then I recommend muting when you're not speaking. I can hear you. Can you hear me? I can hear you well. Excellent. Thanks for joining me tonight. Oh, it is such a pleasure. All right. So this was my this is my first Twitter Spaces ever. Oh, that is so cool. It's an honor to be uh, the host of your first Twitter Spaces, Samantha, and I hope it's the first of many to come. Thank you very much. So what, since we got a few minutes before we go live live, what prompted you to uh, start this series? You've got some interesting uh, guests and, and basically market commentary. What was your inspiration? Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, so, you know, my main inspiration for doing this was I really think that uh, FinTwit has an amazing community. There's so many people like yourself that are so generous, just offering, you know, their own wisdom and their takes on the market and what's going on. And I feel like we've got a lot of people who are, you know, all levels of trading experience that can benefit from hearing that content. And so I felt like, you know, I'll start to reach out to people in my Twitter network. And I hope that, you know, I kind of keep this going and, uh, and keep helping people. But really, the goal is to just try to help uh, educate and Form as many people as possible and, you know, try to give back. I've, I've been uh, enjoying the benefits of the FinTwit community and I've learned a whole heck of a lot my time here and I just want to, you know, kind of pay that forward. That's wonderful. All right. And it, it's also great networking because this is one of the things that we do kind of in isolation, right? Analyze, educate and trade pretty much in uh, isolation um, you know, for the most part. I mean, other than my clients, <laughs> So this is this is great to network with other traders. Thank you. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. And I agree 100 percent. It's like trading can be very solitary. It can be pretty stressful. Uh, you know, a lot of folks that, that start off in trading, they don't necessarily succeed. I think there's like 85 percent of people kind of drop out within the first three to six months. And then after two years, it's like, you know, 90 percent of people uh, have have kind of left. And I want to try whatever I can do to, you know, find a path for other people to, you know, get involved if they're interested in this and at least, you know, try to learn from the wisdom and even the mistakes of other people, right? Because if we can cut out some of that time from starting trading to actually maybe, you know, being more proficient at it, it's good for everyone. So um, it looks like uh, we've hit that 630 mark. So Samantha, thank you so much for joining us for this trading spaces. We're going to talk markets and I wanted to, you know, to learn more about how you uh, arrived at trading trading because I think every trader has a really interesting story you know we've all come to this from different part different walks of life from different experiences and we all have a different approach because of that and 
also because of what shaped our trading. So what got you interested in financial markets and trading? Oh, goodness. I got to go back, huh? Well, um, very, very good question because I think everyone has a personal experience that uh, triggers their interest. And some get discouraged, no question. Also needing to learn how to deal with disappointment, right? That is the game of trading. Actually, trading is not a game of perfect. And some aren't comfortable with that. So um, I got into it uh, over 13 years ago, actually, Lehman. Lehman Brothers, when um, they were in trouble and I had sold my business. Um, I had a small, the small business, family of 60. And I had sold it a year and a half prior because my son had a medical emergency. He was four and a half and um, I just, it rocked my world. I was a mother. He was my uh, youngest of three. Um, I sold the business from the hospital, Children's um, Hospital in Boston and took a year and a half off. He did recover, uh, thank God. My children and I actually went on to do a bunch of traveling and I just couldn't figure out what business I wanted to get back into, honestly. But I loved um, business and analyzing businesses. And I wanted to be close to, um, you know, being inspired. What was going to be the next, you know, big thing for me, but also what was going to be evolving in the markets. So I decided to enter this and very, very much um, both feet. Uh, in other words, I don't do anything kind of small. I really want to learn from the best. So I sought mentors. I wanted to get the best education. Um, and I wanted to just learn all types of different modalities of investing and trading, both active um, and longer time frame, so that I could figure out really what was my fit. So I ended up being just kind of tireless in you know, researching um, and researching and learning. And I was just... <sighs> couldn't could not get enough and i found that this is my insatiable quality of curiosity and i still use that to this day so i'm constantly scanning and synthesizing and trying to create a narrative um context out of data and some people do data really well but i'm pretty good at putting together context from the data and trying to then fashion a story of where it's going versus where it's been so that's basically what I learned over the years of um, not looking for one particular system, but trying to figure out what really interested me and then following up on it. So I keep doing it. That, that hasn't changed. Wow. What a journey, too. I'm really glad that your son pulled through. And, and it sounds like, you know, even though that experience had to be very trying, I can't even imagine how hard it must be to have all that going on while selling a business, while figuring out, you know, what you're going to do moving forward. But it sounds like you not only persevered, but you really made the best of a bad situation that eventually became a very good situation all around. And I, I can't agree more with what your take is that, you know, a hungry mind is a happy mind, especially in the world of trading. We're constantly having to kind of, you know, keep up with what's happening in markets, but also it behooves us as traders to keep improving our skill sets to keep learning you know different approaches to markets and really trying to figure out what is the best style for us to trade how can we improve our compound annual growth rate better manage risk achieve better returns so it sounds like you have a, a you know sort of a uh, a continuous intellectual appetite for that content and i think that's something that all the best traders that i've met share that quality that they're just hungry for more and I, and I, so i love that um you mentioned that you had some mentors. You want to talk a little bit about some of your influences and, and how they guided you in trading and, and, and kind of how that shaped your path? It was a random journey because I didn't really know what style was going to fit me. Um, I did not come from Wall Street. I didn't have the pedigree. I didn't have a book of business. I didn't have um, sponsorship. Someone who knew me could, you know, vouch for me. None of that. Right. So I didn't licensing none of that. So I didn't really know if I wanted to go that path. Remember, I also had three children. So there's a little bit of what can I do working from home and still meet them um, when they come off the bus. So in large part, that drove a lot of my need for flexibility. I'm, you know, first and foremost, a mom. Um, my three kids are now in college. So it's very different transition, right? So, <laughs> but then it was a really high priority for me to be able to balance life and um, you know, work priorities. It was, it was hugely important. So, 
you know, there's the, there's the intellectual side of this, but then there's also that practicality of where do I really want to spend my time? I wanted to spend it being present for my children. So I didn't pursue that kind of more traditional path. It also, I didn't come from that path. So, but I was quick to look for mentors to see if that should be my path so I could rule it out. (laughs) So basically I ended up kind of, um, calling, for lack of a better word, finding mentors that had a particular style, um, whether it be fundamental or macro or technical, and then trying to figure out if, um, you know, they could respect my analysis enough to allow me to shadow them. So I would literally go and physically watch them trade or manage business um, or, you know, learn from, from them how they would uh, invest. And that was the shadowing that we can now do on Twitter, <laughs> you know, in large part and all these and all these online forums. But physically, it, then it was showing up and it, literally just trying to be a sponge and learning different techniques or different skill sets from those mentors that I could then you know, pick and choose what I wanted and, and apply, apply it. And one of the, for my own thing, and one of the things that I realized I was very good at was pattern recognition. So technically speaking, that was pretty much my fallback. I was curious why stuff was moving though. I wasn't just satisfied in technical analysis. To me, that was, forgive me, because I know that's, you know, it's, it's a huge part of my, my thing, but and other people's, I'm not diminishing it, but it wasn't enough. I didn't want to just, you know, do technical analysis. I really wanted wanted to understand why something was moving. And then all of that was the the interesting part to me, right? The technical stuff, I hate to say it, but that came easier. So the pattern recognition for me was, um, was, something that I just kind of had innate. The other stuff I really had to figure out. (laughs) So that was the challenge, like the macro and the fundamental. Those things are much more nuanced, much more complicated. Um, A lot of it comes from, you know, living in that world. And I didn't have that experience. So for me, that was more of a challenge. But I, I, that's what, again, feeds the mind, right? Which you don't know um, for those who are um, single-minded, they just specialize in that area. I wanted to find those folks who were really good at fixed income or, you know, value investing or momentum trading or what have you and shadow them and learn from them and then figure out my own style. Makes a ton of sense. And there's a lot of what you just said that I can relate to. I mean, you know, not having kind of Wall Street mentorship and and really trying to kind of find my own way, having that pattern recognition sense, you know, being able to identify time and price visually and, and kind of see where things might be going, but then really wanting to know why, why are they going that way? What is driving those prices and, and how can I get a better understanding of kind of the narrative, right? And, and so I, I, I could totally understand how, you know, you had that craving for like, okay, I can see what's happening. I get a sense of it, but I don't necessarily have the conviction because I don't see the why. And, you know, the macro and the fundamentals and even the order flow can kind of give you that why. And so it sounds like you started to dive more and more into those areas. So what but would they, you, oh yeah, but it wasn't just But it wasn't just fundamental and macro because as I evolved, I, I, I figured out that there was much more to market structure and it was not just option flow, although that was becoming, you know, the, the, the flea on the tail of the dog was actually starting to really take form. So I got interested in options. But market structure, meaning, you know, money flow, the quant stuff that has become now, you know, that gamma um, drama, it, it, all of that as it emerged or I had more access to it and tried to, again, this is higher math, right? And I wasn't a math-driven um, soul, I was pattern recognition. That's very different. So I, I was fascinated with quant. So it, it, my point is, there are some who really focus on a particular modality, sentiment or quant, right? The volatility sellers, um, or the macro wonks, and you know, or the fundamental, or the the technical. All of for me, the the biggest benefit was actually trying to figure out my spot or secret sauce of 
in between all of that. And I actually think my intermarket analysis skills are strongest of all. Fascinating. So can, can you walk us through kind of how you went from, from the start of that journey where, you know, you really felt like technical analysis was your key skill to now where you feel like uh, intermarket analysis is your strongest skill? Like kind of what got you to that point and, and how has that been an asset in your trading? To compare and contrast. In other words, I really wasn't satisfied with the obvious. I wanted, you know, to see what was underlying this whole structure of um, sector rotation, like what was what was flowing, when, why, where, and some of that I could actually, you know, see in a chart, in a price, it, you know, price action, if you will, because price does, for me anyway, leads fundamentals and, you know, macro drives economic policy and and all of that is very important. But from an intermarket perspective, there are divergences. And what I realized when I started to kind of, I got geeky, I started getting geeky, <laughs> um, where I was trying to figure out what some of these relationships were, breadth and volume and rate of change and, you know, putting different assets um, together, you know, stock bond volatility ratio was a really big thing for me. I could, I could spot when volatility was going to be coming into the market better than most. And for me, that was, that was the differentiator. So everything is pretty bullish until volatility comes in, right? So in lieu, in other words, we have sectors rotate, money just keeps rotating, it keeps finding, you know, the next, um, quote unquote, oversold sector, and then it becomes overbought, and then it goes into the next oversold. And it's basically just this nice pattern of rotation, until nothing is rotating, and then you have volatility, and that reprices everything. So for me, I just wanted to, uh, to really be able to time volatility. So that's where the intermarket analysis came in, where I was looking for divergences. In other words, I would compare and contrast and find out what was, that one thing is not the same. And then I would just lock in on that. Like this is, this is really clear. Like recently, you know, I, I mentioned on Twitter that I, I saw the selling underneath the surface come in in early June, but the market kept, now I'm talking about net selling was coming in early, but there was no turn yet in the indices. We kept grinding higher and higher and higher. But at some point, I know the market's going to give sway. You just you can't have that big divergence. So I'm, I'm able to look at that and then be able to see the, the distribution. So I'm much better at timing tops than bottoms because bottoms are typically an event like the March 23rd, 2020 Fed intervention right? Post options expiration. That was like the perfect storm of tons of liquidity, central bank backstopping with a gorgeous options, you know, expiration, <laughs> you know, setting free um, the bulls. It was, so that type of, of date was an event. But the distribution on top of being able to spy selling is, 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 is nuanced. So that's what I mean by the intermarket. I can do that really well. That ended up being my secret sauce. I love it. And it's, it's fascinating because, you know, like you said, uh, in June, we started to see breadth narrow. We started to see that distribution under the surface. And it certainly hinted that something wasn't quite right. And we've had narrow leadership for a while, but it was extremely narrow leadership. So that's a, it's an extremely good catch. And you caught it very early on. And I'm, I'm sure that gave you, a, 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 you know, an edge to, to be able to act on because you felt you knew what was coming. And indeed, in early July and into that window of weakness, it did, it did indeed come. And we saw a, a pretty nice little whipsaw uh, sell off down to that 50-day moving average on the uh, S&P 500. Um, so with trading, you know, one of the things I really like to do is talk about what lessons uh, have, you know, you learned. And, and really, because a lot of the people that listen in and will hear this recording later, you know, they're trying to, to get a better foundation for their journey, right? And, and one of the things that I think I've heard is, you know, a wise person learns from their mistakes, a wiser person learns from the mistakes of others. So what are some of the most important lessons you've learned as a trader that you would want to imbue upon the audience? Number one, admit mistakes. Forget focusing on anybody else's. I, I don't sell that as a feature. You, you 
have to do you. It's a personal experience. Your your nemesis that whatever you're you're trying to overcome in trading, you meaning you know whoever's listening, <laughs> me as 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 an example, uh, until that ownership of the problem, like this is my mistake. I know it's a mistake. How do I fix that mistake? And then work towards it. There's a goal. Make it a reasonable goal, and then make a plan to work toward it and fix it. That's it. it so I mean saving others from making mistakes. No, I don't do that. That's trader psychology. And I think that's very personal. I know what I do wrong. I focus on it all the time, much more so than what I do right. I want to fix it next. It's, it's, I know this is, it's incremental improvement. I know that I'm in this for the long time and long term because I like the process and I figured that the results will take care of themselves if I focus on fixing the process, making it better. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I think that's also a really, really important point for everyone to, to take to heart. You are not running a sprint as a trader. And if you are, you're going to burn yourself out. It's really about running a marathon. You've got to pace yourself. You don't want to, you know, emotionally exhaust yourself. You also don't want to physically exhaust yourself. Make sure you're, you know, sleeping. Make sure that you're not position sizing to the point that you're uncomfortable and you're, you're having anxiety about your portfolio, right? And, and I think, uh, you know, you made a really good point that everyone does have to not only realize their own mistakes, but own them and work through them. And I think that's, that's actually a mistake that people make right there is they don't do that. So even though maybe you didn't want to <laughs> tell people about how not to uh, manage their mistakes, that's a really important one right there. And, and I, I think that's great wisdom that you've shared. So I appreciate that. Um, but I have, another one. I, yeah, have another, please, please. I have another mantra, which is, yeah. I, I, and I've said this repeatedly because it's really the only thing that I can share. Um, and that is don't risk anything more than you're willing to lose. To me, that's number one in life, but it's also number one in trading. So everyone's different. You know, some people put 10% of their available equity into a trade. Good for you. I love your conviction. That's not me. So you have to know what's comfortable. And for me, one to 3% of available equity, I'm good. So, you know, this is for, you know, and I can, I can scale in and out all that. But the point is I don't have this crystal ball that some people seem to say or have so that they can put huge positions in. So for me, I really want to test it and test it and test it. And I have a lot of confidence. I'm, I'm very selective, but I don't feel still that the, the concentrated bet is my favorite style, right? I mean, in other words, one of the reasons why I went to options is so that I could only trade from 930 to four, because otherwise I'd be consumed pre-market and after hours right? And I wanted to have some time in my brain to rest because I'm very intense. <laughs> and, and one of the reasons why I do, you know, for me anyway, not risk more than you're willing to lose, which is one to 3% of available equity is because that suits me. Like I'm not going to worry. It, 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 so it's all a personal experience. It's not wrong. I don't. I'm, so my, my point is there are lots of ways to you know, trade, the trick is not to lose money. There's portfolio construction. The trip is the trick is not to lose money. I mean, the whole thing is very hard to do if we're, um, you know, just trying to figure out what other people are doing. Their best practices might not be mine. So that's, I think, part of that, that journey is just kind of figuring out what, how I interpret the market is very important, not how someone else interprets the market. How I trade my time frame. That's important to me so that I can manage it better, you know, and then, of course, not risk what I'm willing to lose. For me, that's that's a mantra in life as in as it is in trading. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. I, I think that really uh, hits on some very core principles of trading, especially that are embraced by successful traders and investors as well, which is really principles like position sizing diversification, knowing the volatility of whatever instrument one is trading, and then that time frame. And of course, as you wisely said, manage risk first. You know, it really, everything else starts there. If you're looking at returns and not looking at risk, then you're going to blow yourself up. I mean, I, you know, may not happen 
early on. Maybe someone gets real lucky, but eventually uh, that can end very badly. So I like that. Those are all really important lessons. And I think the position sizing that you mentioned, especially for folks that, you know, want to be comfortable with their trading and the risk they're putting on, that makes a lot of sense. It, you know, if you're only risking one to 3% of your liquidity, you know, it's very hard to get into a trade that you're going to make emotional decisions about. Whereas if you're 10, 20, 30%, you know, every single move might be jarring. So I, I can definitely appreciate that. And that's a good pivot. Uh, oh, do you have something else you want to add? No, I was just going to say, but that that particular style that I have is because I trade a lot of positions. So it's not like you have one, one account, 10% and 10 positions. I can have a lot of small, medium and large, you know, duration trades on. So that's why for me, the one to 3% is really important is because I'm, 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 I'm constantly sizing up across all asset classes. Like I want to look at, you know, currencies and bonds and not just equities, <laughs> you know, across all the sectors. I mean, I'm going through everything every single day. Right. And then I like to basket trade. If there's a particular sector that I think has legs, you know, for weeks, I'm going to be very excited about that. And I'm going to have a few positions in there, whether, you know, of late, it was tons of commodities, you know, over the past year. So the, the point is there's, there's, um, context. It's not just position size. It's also number of positions. Absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, you talked about, uh, you know, sectors performing for weeks. It does feel like this year has been a year where we have rotations that sometimes violently happen in the course of weeks, right? It's, uh, it's definitely been a fascinating market. It's like a compressed timescale um, of a normal credit cycle that we seem to be trading in. But you, you talked a little bit about your trading style. And, and I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of share with the audience more. And I'm curious myself, could you talk a little bit more about your trading style? It sounds like it's multi-asset. You've got different timeframes and, and, yeah. and, you know, you See, kind of work. Yeah, go ahead. No, this is, this is definitely not for everyone. Again, this is my thing. Um, I really like to feel the market um, on different timeframes. So there are, um, you know, the, the backdrop of big picture you know, trend, swing, and chase timeframes. Chase can be a few hours, a few days, swing a few weeks, trend a few months, right? Just to put it in simplistic terms. And then I have a chart up for clients in my live trading room where they can see my hour, my day, and my week timeframe. Because I size it up whenever a client asks and I give that custom engagement in the trading room, I'm always going to put out there what's your time frame? <laughs> because some are not sitting in front of the computer or they're very actually savvy, wicked savvy. And they know they don't need to trade in and out really fast. They can put a position size and sit with it because they have a thesis and they're looking to me more for maybe some technical or intermarket support, right? And the market moving news that could could cause some gyrations to their trend. So I'm looking for trend reversals, whether it's, you know, over um, extremely overbought or oversold sectors, those can become durable trends. And then I'm constantly kind of going back and testing it, right? And testing it and testing it. And how are we doing technically? What is the narrative the same? You know, all that. So that's a trend time frame, And that's very, um, uh, patient. Okay. But it doesn't mean no trend. It doesn't deal with that. No trend is no trade. So it has to be out of a, of a out of a consolidation pattern. It has to be trending <laughs> long or short, but the uh, swing timeframes are a little bit different, which is where you're kind of anticipating volatility to come into an instrument right now. We're waiting for bonds to react right to whether it be tapering or economic slowdown or what have you. So the, the point is we're looking for some kind of volatility to come into um, an earnings play, right? FedEx and Disney today, for example, disappointed. So anticipating a movement, which is basically volatility enters that, that stock, is what I'm doing the most of. So that is really the most fun um, because th they, like I said, they run in packs. If you have momentum, <laughs> you know, versus value trades, they run in packs. So I like to be able to size up when volatility is coming into a particular 
um, rotation. And I also get very, very suspect when rotation stops, right? And that's when volatility enters. So for me, you know, the swing time frame is the busiest. Chases are very select, you know, something's event-driven, market-driven, and I don't need to know a lot about it. It can just be a lot of volume in that play, and it's moving. So that's very much a chase. And I think a lot of young people are really into the gamification of markets. They want that dopamine hit. They want to chase everything. (laughs) And that, to me, is um, very fun, but it is very select, like two to three a day. Um, But I don't just focus on you know, chases. To me, that is um, not not as fulfilling as finding a sustainable kind of volatility move in an instrument and trading that for a few weeks. Um, and then that can turn into a trend, you know, depending on. So to me, there are three timeframes, chase, swing, and trend. And I look at everything in that in that context. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I appreciate you breaking it down in that context too, because I think that helps to quantify, you know, there really are different styles and part of that is time frame, And it's really important to look at that detail. Um, and I don't want you to break out your secret sauce or anything, but can you tell us a little more about how you find, you know, through intermarket analysis and the other tools that you use, where these sector rotations might be happening. Just kind of clue us in as to, as to maybe some of the things that you're looking at as indicators, it's because I think that's a very interesting and powerful way to analyze the markets and take advantage of some of these changes that might be happening underneath the surface before it's obvious to more market participants that start to really try to go after it as well. Yeah, this is definitely where I'm bringing in um, pattern recognition as well as macro. Like, for example, um, last year with uh, post covid and this is uh, this is a random thing so it's it's not bragging about any particular stock it was a sector analysis that i did and it was specifically iyt to spx and transports relative to um uh, you know the spiders had been oversold on a ratio down to not 2016 lows or 2008 lows cuz remember we had a oil recession in 2014 through 2016, which put a a ding in transports um, significantly. And then, of course, 2008. This was a 2004 relative weakness. In other words, that ratio was printing a low that was unbelievably broken. So that was an outlier. And to me, I have a saying, outliers revert with velocity. And so transports to me just popped up as the screaming long and specifically FedEx and UPS. So this was last year and it was based on that intermarket that I'm like, there's just no way it's going to stay at 2004 lows equivalent. So FedEx and UPS ended up being phenomenal trend trades because I had first spotted them in this ratio. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And that's really, it's really interesting. And of course, you know, we had some tailwinds for that sector. Everything was kind of going more remote. We had a lot more shipping, a lot more earnings coming into them. And, and so it makes sense both from like a, a trend change and technical perspective, but it also, you know, it makes sense from a, a fundamental perspective as well. All, and when you see all of those things line up, you know, you have those convergent indications that can really, A, bolster conviction, but B, you know, show, show us why that trade is happening, right? And that's yes. important too. And also the earnings came out with UPS and it was a, it was the largest gap it has ever had. And they were off and running from there. So now that doesn't mean they're not going to correct later, but for a long, long, long time, that was a very profitable long. <laughs> um, so those are the kinds of intermarket relationships that I'm looking at. That was just an example, right? Another one that's really big, of course, is rates. So I've been, I've been really kind of fortunate that I have a feel for the 10-year, and basically that trade is um, a commodity, you know, backdrop. So higher yields often bring higher commodities and vice versa. So that was a really strong conviction that I had last year. Um, Same thing with lumber. These are all intermarket or kind of, you know, 
a blend of macro and technical, but that creates a lot of opportunity to then have conviction for things over paper. Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that when I have a theme, I'm going to keep repeating it. It might be a little bit in disguise, like inflation equals sticky, right? I've been a big inflation proponent since last fall. Um, I just really felt confident that we were going to have higher material costs and uh, definitely, you know, housing, um, rents, the whole thing. So I had even done a podcast um, back in November, 1970s style inflation. So I, I, I can see some things early. Sometimes they don't work out. Okay. But that really did. So I'm using a backdrop of, of patterns and uh, macro rates, intermarket, whatever it is to kind of come up with some durable um, currents. And I want to swim with the current, not against it. Absolutely. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, and, you know, I, I think it it also is wise to be humble, as you said, you know, not everything works out. You know, we don't have a crystal ball as traders, but with with the sorts of models and and kind of uh, analysis that you're doing, you can at least assign some sort of, uh, uh, you know, percentage on probability for an outcome happening. And then you can back it up with your research and determine, hey, maybe, you know, this makes more sense. I'll have more conviction in this trade. And, and you know, and if it doesn't work out, like you said, we just we, we admit our mistakes and we move on as traders. And we look at the next opportunity. Yeah, um, like my, my big mistake is I should have really worked a lot less and just recommended the FANG stocks. <laughs> I mean, I busted my ass and I didn't need to. But the point is, that's boring to me. <laughs> right. right. It is. It is boring. It is boring. It's almost too easy. It's like going into a video game and selecting very easy mode and, and then just, you know, coasting through it to the end boss and then just like hitting him once and you, you beat the game. Oh, that's there we it. go. <laughs> there's no, it's just like you said with the, uh, you know, with the, the chases, you know, there's, there's not quite as much durable satisfaction from that. And the same is true if you just kind of put on autopilot in the fangs and just kind of let things ride. And that's not to say there's anything wrong with doing that. I mean, everyone's done that. They've, they've killed it and that's great for them. But, you know, sometimes it's more satisfying when you really like trading the markets and you like putting your brain to work to do that. And you might not win every time, but you will walk away with a greater toolkit, with a, a greater amount of intellectual assets that you can then deploy and, you know, increase your success over time. So even if we don't win, we still win. Yeah, I, I feel comfortable kind of picking my spots. I can go through and say, nope, 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 nope. Oh, that's interesting. I'll keep that in mind. Oh my God, yes. So my level of convic conviction or dismissiveness is very easy now. Like I, I don't waste my time, <laughs> uh, you know, so, so I think that's part of the benefit of, of being so busy and curious is that now I have a really good feel and that's feel right. That comes just gut in. There's a thing that we also have that traders need to um, uh, feed, which is in fact our gut. A lot of what we do is so emotionally driven, right? Sometimes it's fear, sometimes it's greed, but I can, you know, I can't tell you how my, I've had a dream about a bloody short, you know, in Baba and oh my God, it worked. <laughs> so, so, so sometimes, so sometimes, you know, it's just the subconscious takes over. There are instincts and I, I can also tell when I'm, you know, good trades and bad trades um, from how my stomach will either turn. You know, no, no, seriously, like there's some physical bodily thing that can happen also in trading and you don't want to fight it. It's it, the, I don't know how else to put it, but there is a gut instinct that traders develop and they need to learn to trust it. This is such a fascinating area, and I want to speak on this a little bit from my own experience and research because I 100% agree with what you're saying, and it actually is it's profound and it's transcendent. And there's there's two really big things that add into what you're talking about that that I could quantify from just kind of doing research on the brain and the gut and the microbiome and the relationship between all three. And the first is you know as we do more as traders and as we kind of build our proficiency and we execute trades and we run all these maths in our head and mental models and and so forth we start to build myelinated neural pathways that accelerate that flow of information from just learning to like almost a hundred times faster when we're proficient. And that's a big part of like the brain, 
component of just execution, but the gut, and this is so key, and it's been called the second brain. It's got the biggest uh, uh, you know, nerve connectivity of any part of our body, the vagus nerve from our gut to our brain, and it's really more our gut talking to our brain than our brain talking to our gut, and the gut itself has over 100 trillion different cells with greater genetic diversity than the rest of our body. And it sends very powerful signals to our brain. And it has a very big impact on our emotion. The, the old, you know, colloquial gut feeling, it's a real thing. And what you said, That's like so you can cool. feel it, it's real. It really is real. And it really has uh, a lot of influence over our thought process, our emotions, and even our dreams. So it's it's amazing you hit on that because I couldn't agree more. And I feel that same thing. Like sometimes you get into something that just doesn't feel right. You just Something's just, no, I don't know exactly. I can't put my finger on it, but I don't like the way it feels. I'm getting out. Like not even going to think about it. Just get out. And so that I, gut feeling. I know nothing about all that neurology. That's fascinating. That that is your, you know, um, study because I don't understand it. I've never looked into it. Um, I have interviewed um, Diane Scholl, who is of the Think Group. She, it, it, uh, I guess, her character um, was the Wendy character in Billions. You've probably heard of her. So she's oh yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So she's, you know, she's basically the shrink for traders um, in, on Wall Street. And she writes about this, but she's also very commonsensical about all of it. And you should read everything she's written. It's I'm sure it's right up your alley. But to me, I don't really know how to explain it. I just know that I'm going to be in trouble if I don't listen to it. Yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, as we, and I, I imagine, it, you know, if, if your experience has been like mine, the more you've traded, the more you've not only noticed those feelings, but learned to trust those feelings implicitly. And also the stuff that sabotages. And that's all, that's, that's actually a little harder because I think that we all, maybe not your personal experience, but someone who's experienced a lot of loss and disappointment and the relationship with money is going to drive a lot of the trading decisions. And I think that's something that isn't really talked about. And I'm not going to talk about it with clients. It's not my value add. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm solidly in the analyst <laughs> camp um, and I share my trades. That's, that's basically, you know, as far as I go, I don't do trader psychology, but I will say that as more women come into this space, and myself included, you know, single mom, divorced, you know, all that stuff. There's a lot of fear in how to, how to generate wealth because we're so far behind, relatively speaking, and how to do it safely because we're also risk aware, not hot rods. We can't afford to be, I don't know. There's just a very different kind of, um, tempo, I think. And also, um, risk profile to my own trading and other women that I've noticed, it's quieter, right? It might be uh, much more, you know, competent than they let on. But the point is there's, there's some hiding because of fear of loss. It's really tough. It's tough to manage that. So I think that's one thing that isn't, I don't know if you address that or how you would address that, but, um, a lot of women are coming into this space and I'm very excited about that, right? My Discord, <laughs> you know, um, a product is women owned and operated. And I love that there are more um, women opening up brokerage accounts than men and women getting into the, um, the, 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 the future of finance. There's no question in my mind. But we also have to overcome a lot of thinking that we're not enough. We don't have enough right? It takes money to make money. So it's, it's, it's tough. I think that is one area of trading psychology that isn't addressed nearly enough. I absolutely agree. And, and first kudos on everything that you've done to, you know, help to recognize the woman in the FinTwit community and, and really what you've built. And I think it's, it's awesome. I know everyone that's involved in your group, they're all amazing people, yourself included. So, you know, I wanted Thank to you. just Absolutely. And I, you know, I, I, I met you a while ago on FinTwit and I've always looked to your posts as a source of wisdom. I think you share a lot of great information with the community. Um, in terms of loss, I mean, I don't think anyone who's honest about investing or trading 
doesn't have some implicit fear of loss. I mean, maybe you have like, you know, a nine figure account. It's not as big of a deal. That's not me. You know, that's probably not a lot of people in the audience, but for anyone who's, you know, really appreciative of the value of money and hard work and all of that, you know, we, we, we have these experiences that linger in our mind, right? And when you have a big loss or when you get wiped out or nearly wiped out or any kind of calamity like that, whether it's in life uh, outside of trading or inside of trading, it can build some tangible fears that can linger. And part of that's productive, right? Part of that we can say, hey, we don't want to have that happen again. Let's yeah. learn what led us down that path so we don't go there again. But the other part of it is it can lead to hesitation and it can lead to some of the most common behaviors that I see in traders that can cause them to lose where they're you know, riding their losers because they're hoping to break even and they're cutting their wins early because they're afraid of the loss. And I think as long as people can kind of get ahead of that mentality and flip it and you know, cut their losses and ride those winners to the time frame that's appropriate for their trade, as long as the thesis holds up, you know, that's one of the most important kind of corrections. But like you said, you know, sometimes people really have to go through their own experience and learn that on their own. But I feel like it kind of comes down to something I, I say a lot on Twitter, and it's that you know, we all pay a tuition to the market. It's really our choice mm -hmm. as to whether we learn from it. True that. <laughs> True that. <laughs> so, Samantha, what advice would you give to traders, you know, uh, that are getting started? They've been at it a while, you know, not shortcuts, but just wisdom, pearls of wisdom that you could share that helped you on your journey. It's a learning planet and don't give up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, and, 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 you know, there, I like the hungry mind uh, idea that you brought up earlier, too. I think that, you know, if for, I, I, I can see this in, in, and hear it in your voice, you're passionate about trading, you're passionate about finance. you love this. I do. There, I it, totally it, do. It's <laughs> contagious, too. I feel more passionate just talking about you. I, you know, all the stuff that you're talking about here, you, you know, I can just I, it resonates. But at the same time, you know, and, and this is just my own two cents. But for folks that don't feel that, it may not be the best fit, right? Like if you're no, not it, into yeah. it. But, but it, it isn't, I mean, how many people do jobs that they really don't enjoy? They True. might still, they still might be good at it. I, I still think that is such a personal experience and that's what's so fabulous about it. Whether you trade for one hour a day um, or one hour a month and, you know, check positions, everyone has this um, kind of uh, love-hate with the market that they need to kind of, uh, deal with. And for some, it's ignorance. They don't understand it or they think it's this um, totally manipulated space, which by the way, you and I both know it is, but you, we've learned to navigate it quite quite well. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's, it's a game that we know we can win. Um, but the point is the numbers are intimidating, right? And so there's, there's just that a lot of negativity and, and anyone who doesn't really understand or, um, respect what we do they diminish it to say gambling and i actually don't think of it that way i that's personally me i think it's a probabilities um game for sure but i don't think of it as gambling so this is all the kind of like the negativity wrapped up in those who might have a hard time staying with it but for those who are very excited about the independence, about the money they can make if they learn to master their own emotions, if they're curious about how things work instead of just blaming, you know, a, a particular entity, right? Oh, it's the Fed's fault or whatever, <laughs> right? And taking, instead of taking personal responsibility, you know, or just saying, I'm just not lucky or, you know, whatever. So it's a, it's a mindset. So I have a mindset that you know, I'm, I might be a small fish, but I'm swimming next to the sharks and I'm okay with that. Like, I just feel like I, I got this. So that's, that's my mindset. Everyone has to come into it and decide if they, they want to take one part of their skill, match it up, you know, with a trading style. Cause there are tons of ways to make money. It, the trick is not to lose it and then not just, and not to be, um, you know, risking more than they're willing to lose. A hundred percent agree. Uh, you know, humility, um, taking responsibility, you know, and, and really uh, being able to uh, grow as a trader. It sounds like those are core themes in what you're talking about. Um, learning planet, learning planet. And absolutely. 
And, you know, this is, um, I don't know, this is not a game of perfect. So this is also really tough for people, I think, to some people to understand that this is a 100% injury sport. You will have losses. You know, how outsized they are is up to you, but you will have losses. It's just guaranteed. And a lot of people cannot comprehend that. They really, really don't. They just, they don't like the feeling of it. They don't accept it. They don't know how to manage it. They don't want to look. Um, And that's something that is critical and still go back in the game, even after you got hurt. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's, it's probably even more critical, right? Like you it's, really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so don't give up. That's basically um, for those who are, you know, listening and, and potentially on the newer side of it, I would say that, that you just remember it's a learning planet. Don't give up and don't risk more than you're willing to lose. And, you know, maybe start small if you're new to this. You know, you don't have to put it all in at once. You know, it's, it's, it, it really is a learning process. And I think you, you, you really hit on the, the key themes that, uh, that I see in the difference between, you know, people who make it in trading and, and people who maybe fizzle out over time or blow themselves up and don't come back. And, you know, you really have to be able to take responsibility for your actions. Like you said, you have to learn. You have to be humble. The market will humble you if you're not humble. Like it will keep humbling you until you're humble or you give up. <laughs> really, there's really no that. That's one of the few binary outcomes in the market. Really, eventually, if you're not humble, the market will humble you until you know something really bad happens, right? And that's um, the only. And that's the only difference is I don't think of it as me against the market. I think of it only as me against me. Sure, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. I like that. You know, we have to, and we have to face our own demons. And what better way to get to know ourselves? than basically putting it on the line on a daily basis. And not literally, but in some ways, you know, we are. And that goes back to the idea of loss and, you know, managing risk. Uh, and, and like you said, uh, you know, this is a mission where you're more free than you are in many other parts of life, as long as you're disciplined, right? As long as you can keep coming back, as long as you, you're able to manage your risk, you know, this can be one of the most liberating uh, daytime activities as a career possible. But it's not necessarily going to be for everyone, and, and especially not at first. And you've got to get your bearings. And you've got to, you know, a lot of people go into this thinking, I'm going to turn $5,000 into a million dollars buying calls and some Reddit stock in a month. And that's going to be my trading. And then I'm going to retire in Guam. And it's like that, you know, you might get lucky. And hey, if you do more power to you, but you might not learn much along the way and then blow up later as a result of that luck and the lack of, you know, thought that's put into that process. It's like winning the lottery and then blowing the money from that win. Uh, uh, so yeah, it really, it really is a discipline. And, and I think that that is, is super important. Samantha, but what's the discipline? Yeah. The discipline for me is to ask the question, what did I do right? What did I do wrong? Right, right. Absolutely. And then, and then really on a daily basis, like you said, no one is going to win hundred percent of the time. Anyone who says they are maybe, you know, it's best to look at them with a little bit of a squinty eye. Like, what, what are you not telling me? <laughs> if every trade's a winner, I'm very suspect about everything you're doing over there, right? Because no, uh, no, nobody, <laughs> has, nobody has that. But it, it is very um, exciting to, you know, share. Um, Twitter's been a great exchange. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm busy in my, in my trading room and I'm populating analysis and all of that management during the day doesn't give lend itself to lots and lots of sharing of particular trade ideas during the day on Twitter. You have been really very generous with your ideas and the reasons um, why you support them. I also want to just kudos to you because you've built a community. Um, I know it's, it's comforting to have that community. Um, for me, I have the clients that I feel like I have a, an absolute obligation to. So I'm a little bit more introspect and a little bit more, you know, uh, targeted um, during the day. So you kind of know I do a little Twitter flurry sometimes, but it's it's all at once. And then I go away for a while. <laughs> so you have been really consistent. You have been actually creating a great following. I just wanted to compliment you on that. I've been, I've been a, a fan for, I don't know, about a year and a half now. And you've done some really, you made some great calls, but you've also created a great community. 
Well, thank you so much, Samantha. And yeah, you were you were one of the people I linked up with early on when I got on FinTwit and, and really started reaching out. I've, I've appreciated your presence here. I know you say that you come in and, you know, there's a flurry and then you disappear. But I always look forward to when I see you on my feed. And I have my <laughs> notifications turned on for you. So I'm like, oh, Samantha's active. And you share some great content. You've had some great interviews. I really love the interview you did with uh, with Jem Carson. I thought that was awesome because I have a lot of admiration for both of you. So seeing you both on the same thank screen you. talking to each other, I was like, this is awesome, right? And that's that's what I mean by I want to learn. So I, I like to talk with people who have a subject matter expertise that is way over my head, and that forces me to learn about it. That's oh challenge. yeah. And speaking of subject matter expertise, probably over all of our heads. I mean, this you know, gem is just wow. Yeah, <laughs> the he is a true prodigy. Yeah, I, I really love uh, all the stuff he shares. I mean, and, and that's the thing. And, and, and I really appreciate all your positive feedback. And thank you. And I, I feel the same of you. I mean, I, I think you're a, a little bit, and it's fine. It behooves you, but you're a little bit too humble. You share a lot too. You share a lot of excellent information and you may not be, you know, as active as you say I am. And I know I'm out there all the time putting all kinds of stuff out there, but you still share some very valuable insights. We've also had some incredible conversations sort of off the public Twitter feed about all different manners of training. And, and so, you know, I, I think that, that one of the best things about FinTwit for me is there's just such an amazing community of people from different backgrounds, different walks of life, different trading styles, different ideas. And, you know, we have so many amazing interactions where we can learn from others. We can get a little piece uh, for our intellectual, you know, uh, foundation and share with them the same. And, and that builds better traders. And as retail traders, we're all disadvantaged in the sense that we don't have all of the information. We don't get it at the same really low latency that some of the, you know, algo traders and quants and, you know, other kind of very fast uh, moving traders do. But at the same time, we're also small fish. We're swimming with the sharks, but we're agile. We can use that to our advantage and we can also help each other, you know, like a school of fish that's swimming near sharks and they somehow magically, they just evade all of them. That's kind of what it's like when you really fall into a good community on Fintwit. You help each other manage, you know, the ideas that might be on your horizon. You might not say, hey, I don't like every single idea this person has, but I like where they're coming from and they have information that they're sharing that's constructive to me and vice versa. It all builds. It builds a groundswell of information that enhances our trading experience and our and our knowledge and you know eventually the skill set that we have that we apply to markets to generate more reliable returns. So, um, hundred percent agree. And I again, I thank you and applaud you for for doing this publicly and just the time to chat and and to care. I think that's um, why we're why we're thin twit buddies. Absolutely, my friend, hundred percent agree. And uh, you know, I I think that. Um, that's another thing about FinTwit, right? That, that's really, it's, it's like what happened with COVID, we all got very isolated, right? I mean, even, even if it, we were already introverted or whatever, it's still a level of isolation that's not like a warm, fuzzy blanket. And one of the things that, that FinTwit brought about that I think helped a lot of people, myself included, was like, hey, we have a community. It might not be the, the same community that maybe you were involved in IRL or whatever, but it is an awesome community. There's a lot of great people. There's a lot of friendships to be forged. And there's absolutely no reason not to invest in that network, just like we invest our money to make returns. We're making returns on building new connections. And that pays you know, dividends in, in happiness and in knowledge. Well, I'm excited to see where you're going to go with this because you're obviously building out your network. So thank you. <laughs> thank you, Samantha. I appreciate you being a part of it. And Samantha, I, I want to be mindful of everyone's time. So we'll start to kind of uh, begin the process of winding things down here. But yes, just had a couple more questions for you. Uh, one of them is, what are some of the trends that you're watching right now? Um, well, we had our massive volatility burst, and I really liked this, um, this call from two weeks ago which was I felt very firmly that we were going to uh, trade down into FOMC um, and then we'd have an opportunity to buy post FOMC. So, so far that's coming forward. But having said that, my lower price target has not been hit yet. And my indicators are still showing tons of divergences. It's not safe. So tomorrow will be very, very important. I am curious if it's time to... Um, you know, the next day or two to stabilize and move higher, um, or if we're going to have some very big breakages. And I'm worried about that. So we had a, markets are broken. 
right? So we have some repair that's needed. And I'm not talking about little day chases with biotech, you know, event-driven stuff. I'm talking about really solid buying that comes into the market and takes sectors across the board higher, right? Not just that narrow leadership. So right now I do not see it. Breadth, um, cumulative volume, my stock bond volatility ratio, all of that stuff says danger. And I warned clients about it and I'm warning you about it. It's not safe. Having said that, let's see if we get some big announcement, <laughs> which is the combo, you know, debt ceiling, fiscal, um, infrastructure bill is going to be voted on next week. Um, not to mention, you know, the, the FOMC meeting. And they've got one chance tomorrow before the November um, meeting. So I think that this is important. The market is broken. It really is. We had an 86% surge in volatility this month alone, which was predicted. So that's awesome, right? But now what? Yeah, absolutely. And now it's patience. We had a no, we had a do nothing day in the indices today. We still do not have any trustworthy sector rotation. It's not safe. So let it let it settle down. Let it settle down. Um, in fact, if anything, you know, I'm I'm waiting until tomorrow's announcement. I've had a really good two week run. <laughs> I'm going to wait until tomorrow's announcement. Not in a hurry. I'll pick my place. Patience is a virtue, especially in markets. I agree 100% with your analysis. And I, I think there's been, uh, you know, there's a lot of buildup for tomorrow. There's a lot of buildup for what eventually happens with Evergrande, whatever, what, what eventually happens with the debt ceiling and the the, uh, the budget package and all that. So those are all extremely good points. Those are those are essentially guideposts in the next two weeks that everyone should be paying attention to as traders and investors. Samantha, as we wrap up here, can you tell us just a little bit more about your Discord, about your trading service, what you offer and how that works? All right. I'm happy to. Well, first and foremost, I do have a fishing club, which is for uh, active traders and investors, where I run a live trading room every morning from 9 to 12. And then I populate all of my analysis from macro to micro across all those, uh, you know, chase, swing and trend timeframes. I publish all of my intermarket secret sauce. Everything is in a Slack client workspace. So it's lit at searchable and timestamped and engageable, all that stuff. So I do custom analysis and scan and synthesize market moving no news in the morning. And then I publish everything in the afternoons. Um, I have both institutional and retail clients. So it's a really great mix because I like to see what the, what, you know, the whales are doing and that helps me better size up opportunities for the, uh, the shorter duration trades, the chase trades. So the new product is the discord. It's totally separate from my fishing club, <laughs> which it consists of, you know, big ideas and just everything I just talked about. The discord is actually run by, um, a wonderful young woman who is just hot fire flames and you've, you know, recommended her as well. So when I was, when I was looking for a manager and she has just got a great thing going on, which is to say, she's a momentum trader and she's young and she's using options in a smart way, managing risk in a smart way. And so I hired her to run the discord um, product. I still pipe in my market thoughts and my, my chase trade ideas, right? So they're still getting in there and the, the membership has exploded in this discord because young people are looking for, I believe, that combination, right? So I'm more of a mentor. I'm looking at the big picture. Why is the market moving? You know, event risk, um, when volatility is coming in, sector rotation, things that, you know, new traders relatively are not at all aware of, right? They don't understand how to de decipher a, a headline. So, <clears throat> but they are very, very rabid for, for action and for profits, and they want to trade, right? And they want to be in a community. So that is um, what the two, and recently announced today, um, very excited, added two more women to help, you know, include um, and support the moderators and Rithika in this Discord community, which I said has grown um, and will continue to be expanding to add the voice of women who are in roles of finance, 
and option trading um, and the like. So this is exciting for me. It's a, a totally separate product from my live um, fishing room. <laughs> so just to kind of clarify that, my room is quiet. I'm the only one talking. <laughs> it's very much engagement um, uh, in, you know, Q&A. And then I size up what's what's going on and 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 discuss what's uh, where the opportunities are and where the money flow. So the the discord is obviously a more active community. So very different products, but they're serving um, their audiences very well. And I invite folks to take to check them out for sure. That's awesome, Samantha. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing that too, because that really does sound like a good place for people, especially when they're, you know, really trying to kind of get their feet in the water and figure out how this whole trading thing works. It's great to have people that have more experience and, and can help guide that process. So I think you're, you're offering a valuable service. So folks, I know I said we do a Q&A, but it's been an hour. We've had a, a jam-packed session. I tell you what, Samantha, I want to have you back if that works for you. We should yes, pick this up again and we should have, you know, we should talk more markets and then have an open Q&A with the audience. What do you think? That sounds great. Anytime. Market, market chatter is definitely of interest because it changes every day. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm down for that. Very much so. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me, Samantha. And I recommend everyone give Samantha a follow. She is an awesome resource here on Twitter. She's just, she keeps contributing great insights and knowledge and, you know, everyone's feed is benefited by her presence. And thank you for everyone who's uh, who joined us tonight, who's listened to the spaces. Uh, we will be posting a recording of this within the week. So, you know, just stay tuned for that. Uh, and, and I'll be posting that as soon as I have it available and uh, hope everyone has a great night. I thank you so much. Everyone have a great rest of the trading week.